0: Our last Rowdy Six, at least for a little while. Take a seat. Thanks for being here. I feel so nostalgic right now. I hope to sign all your yearbooks after service. But who knows, it may come back around because hopefully we're going to have to add more services in the future because more people are coming and we break fire codes and so we've got to add more services and maybe the Rowdy Six will come back. Who knows? But now, I'm guessing there's no morning people in here, because you're here for the six. We got one. Well, I won't make fun of morning people then. You guys have to choose. Well, I was just saying in the last service that morning people are like, oh, that's cute. An 11 o'clock service, is not even the morning. That's the afternoon for them. They've been up since five, praying for all the rest of us. Dad on vacation, judging everyone for sleeping in on vacation. Oh, didn't know if I'd see you today. Because I slept in on vacation. You need to be condescending to me. So anyway, you guys are all gonna sleep in, I already know that. So you have to choose between the five and the seven, the five being the smart choice, because you can go to church, you can watch football all day, go to church, go eat, see the Sunday night game, and go to bed at a reasonable hour ready for the week. And then I know some of you are gonna come to the seven because you just wanna stay out all night and you don't care about your job. So whatever you choose, we're growing and it's fun, it's really crazy. I know that some of our more sinful people are not here on Labor Day weekend. (laughs) But for a lot of weeks, we've been maxing this service out and that started to make us think, hey, we need to make more room in this church. And I just want to say from the top that we're not making more room to like get a higher number for a statistic to report to nobody. Like we want to make more room in this place so more people can experience God. We want more chairs open for more people so your friends can come and experience what you're experiencing in this family. And that's why we're doing this. And so our church grew through the summer, which is awesome because churches normally shrink through the summer. Our venue here is helping us. They're giving us all day Sunday now instead of just the afternoon and evening so we can have morning services. And they're actually in the future lowering our rent to keep us here. Our venue. Pretty awesome. And and I think that these kinds of like very logical, business-minded things speak to me where I'm like God's got our back here. Something's happening in this place, and he's going to do whatever to help us grow. And so, as we grow, I have two things to ask of you, because adding a service means all hands on deck. It means we need more people to help make it happen. So, the first thing I would ask of you is, if you don't serve here, would you consider signing up to serve today? And uh, if, if you serve here, would you just stand up real quick? I just want to give you a thank you. So... Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. What I, I don't love using the term volunteer about people that uh, give their time on Sunday to make this place home for you. I like to call them leaders because the people who just stood up are the leaders of this church. They're the ones who are carrying this vision forward. They're the ones who are, are making this place feel like home for you when you come here. So thank you, guys. And I want to invite the rest of you to be a part of it. Our kind of dream is that everyone in our church would attend a service and serve at one. Not because you need to stand somewhere so we can check a box that a role is filled, but because I think the greatest fulfillment comes in serving and building our Father's house and seeing people come in and find Jesus, and you're a part of making that happen. That's what these people are doing. We're growing. We're adding a service because of the excellence and the love with which they serve. I hear from person after person, man, the people at your church, I just felt like I was welcome there. I felt like they, they wanted me there. They saw me, that I'm important to you. I'm part of your family, and we want to make room for more people. So would you consider serving here? We're going to have a little serve launch after all the team leads. You'll be like, there's a team lead for everything in this church because we put a lot of thought into every detail of Sunday. Because from the moment you park to the moment you get back in your car, we want you to have experienced God, find family here. We want you to discover purpose in who you are so you can go lead. And I think that that purpose that you will discover is going to come through serving. Because it's not just going to be what you do on Sunday, but it's going to point you to, hey, what am I good at? What am I gifted at? What has God given me a passion for? And how do I then go apply that every day and go lead out in the world wherever I am? And God's going to illuminate that to you. So if you're somebody who's like, okay, I'll serve because you need more people. I, I don't want that to be how you feel. I don't need to obligate or guilt you into serving. I honestly think you'll love it. I think you'll love the family here. And I I want your gifts and your passions to uh, make you thrive here. And I think that you will find life in it. So if you're somebody that's like, man, I want to pastor the young people, like the the next generation, you can be in Kids Rock. But if you're somebody that's like, I hate kids, then don't feel obligated to do that. Go find something that you're passionate about. Go find a place where you feel like you could make this home for other people. So um, here's all the different teams we have. Sign up for one of them. Talk to the team lead, and they'll work with you with your schedule. We're not going to, like, make you be here from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. as we roll into three services. We want it to be sustainable and life-giving for you. So it'll work with your schedule. We'd love to have you on the team. We do uh, rally services for our our, our team right before services. We have fun events during the year just for that crew, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, The other thing that I'm going to ask of you is there's uh, a little invite on your seat, And we've got stacks of them, so take a bunch when you leave. They say, come and see on them, which is the title of this message. And I, I want to ask you to invite people this week to be a part of this family. And I know right off the bat you're like, okay, autopilot, tune out. Here comes a message about we need to be inviting people to church. And I just want to say with full integrity on behalf of our team that we're not in this for a statistic. We're not in this for a count or a number of people, we we literally just want more and more people to be able to experience God. We want more and more people to find family. We want more and more people to discover their purpose so they can go lead somewhere in their life and they can bring people to experience God and find this family and and then that person discovers their God-given purpose and they go lead and we wanna be a launching pad. We want people to come here and find Jesus so they can go out into the world and build his kingdom. And that's why we wanna put more chairs out and add more services, that's it. There's no like giving campaign at the end that I'm, so invite your friends because next week we're raising money for Doug's Escalade. (laughs) There's none of that. We genuinely just want to build the kingdom and more people to experience God. And so uh, I know that it'd be very, like, it sounds simple. Like, okay, so come and see. So I'm going to go hand this to somebody. I get your message. Thanks. Why don't we just do worship and we can get out of here? But I also, I know that inviting people to church is not simple. Like it sounds simple, but it's not. Because if it was, then we would all invite everyone we know to church, right? But we don't. I don't. There's a lot of complexity to the invitation to tell somebody to come and see. But we believe, we're calling this secrets out because we believe that the best kept secret in Austin is right here in this place. Is this church. And I know you might be like, well, that's arrogant to say. Don't you guys always say that you're not the perfect church? Yes. And it's not about... Us. Like we always say, we're imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. The reason that the secret needs to get out is because of that perfect God. Because He's moving in this place. And we want more and more people to find homes. And I believe that just about the church across this city, that this secret, that this Jesus needs to be out there. Because He has and is everything that every human being craves and desires. Most people just don't know that. But we do. So we get to go tell them to come and see. So, We're going to dive into the complexity of something that's seemingly simple, and my hope is as we go through that together today, that we'll come out the other side with simplicity again, with fire to tell people to come and see, because we remember why we're doing this. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46, Jesus, his ministry is starting to roll, he's on the scene, and he's calling his disciples, so it says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see said Philip. So let's break this story down, because it sounds like this little weird excerpt, like I don't, not something you've probably spent a lot of time studying, because it's pretty straightforward, right? So we'll start with Jesus, because when we read stories about Jesus, normally we're like, okay, what did Jesus do here? I'm just going to do whatever Jesus did, and actually I don't think that's what you should do in this story. And you're like, well, that's blasphemy. Let me explain. Jesus can go up to somebody and say, come follow me, and they'll be like, all right, Because he's just that good. Like you encounter Jesus and you're in his presence, you're going to be like, okay. If I go up to somebody and I'm like, hey, follow me. (laughs) They're going to just back away, call the police. They're not going to follow me. So I'm I'm saying don't, this is not a what would Jesus do moment. Don't go out this week and be like, hey, follow me (laughs) to my car. (laughs) Because I'm driving you to church, that's why, yeah, Uh uh-huh. No, it's actually Philip that I think we relate to in this story. Because he encounters Jesus and he's like, okay, yep, I'm in. And his first thought is, I need to go get my bro Nathaniel. He's got to come too. And when he goes to Nathaniel, he's met with resistance. Like most of us are used to with friends and people that are uh, non-believers or them or they, whoever's outside of the church, right? Like we expect resistance and he gets it here from Nathaniel. And so in this moment, while it seems like, well, Philip didn't really care what, like, Nathaniel's doubting him. And Nathaniel's saying, oh, yeah, sure, the the foretold Messiah's here now that we've been hearing about for all of our history. Yeah, he's here in this middle of nowhere place. And of all people, Philip, he came to you. Yeah, he wants you on his team. Like, these are buddies. So Nathaniel knows Philip. He knows his flaws. And he's like, yeah, right, dude. Isn't that Joseph's son? What are you talking about? He's a carpenter. And so in this moment, I think is where we're met a lot of times where we expect, well, they don't, maybe I just leave them alone. I think there's two places of doubt that cause us to just not say anything, to not invite. The first place of doubt is self-doubt. And I think it's us sometimes thinking, well, if they start to ask me hard questions, I'm not going to know all the answers. And if we get into a debate, I may not be able to, like, win the debate to get them to believe what I'm saying. I don't understand God. Who am I to, like... Say this. I don't. I don't have all the answers. Or if you're like me, you disqualify yourself because you think about the people who know you well, and you're like, Oh no, they know too much about me. Why would they listen to me? Like some, my life doesn't always out there look like I want it to in here. So I'm, I'm a bad example of this. So I'm just. I'm just not going to say anything. We disqualify ourselves. And the other place of doubt, I think, for us that causes us to just go silent when the opportunity is in front of us to tell somebody to come and see, is church doubt. Because I think a lot of times we hear these messages in churches and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm supposed to invite my friends. But if I do, what exactly are they going to be getting, I'm getting them into. Like what exactly are they going to come and see? Like are they going to show up to a community of people who's exclusive and makes them feel like an outsider because they're not a polished Christian? Are they going to have preachers who just yell at them and tell them they're not good enough and they're, they're not worthy and, and hand them a list of rules and say go figure this out and, and then come back when you do? Because I don't want to invite my friend to that. What are they going to experience if they come to church? Are they going to encounter a group of people that is off living like this life that they can't relate to the world anymore because they don't speak English anymore, they just speak Christianese? And they can't have a conversation with somebody who's not a Christian, they can't relate to them anymore? I don't want my friend to just be like, well, I I don't relate to those people, they're super weird and they said a bunch of things that made no sense to me. So we have these doubts, right? Sometimes it's self-doubt, sometimes it's church doubt, and I think at the end of it we're like, forget it. It doesn't really matter. Somebody else will invite. But it matters to the person that you were thinking about inviting. And so I think we can learn from Philip because in this moment when he's met with opposition from Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, yeah, right, dude. He doesn't try to prove it to Nathaniel. He doesn't try to debate him and say, oh, here's how all the prophecies line up, and here's what happened when I met him, and you just don't know what you're talking about, and I, I can prove this to you. He doesn't try to win a debate with him. He doesn't disqualify himself. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? You're probably right. You don't need to listen to me. I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have even said anything. And he doesn't push Nathaniel away for having questions and doubts. He doesn't say, hey, there's no room for your questions with me. It's either blind faith or nothing. And you know what? Because you're asking questions because you don't believe me, he probably wouldn't have liked you anyway. Just don't come. No, he doesn't do any of that. I think all these thoughts are swirling in his head, and he's just like, I don't know exactly how to explain this. Just come and see. Just come and see. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen from here. I don't have all the answers. I just know that following this guy seems like the most important decision that we have to make. And I want you to come with me. So just come and see. And I think that he has the, the key to this, that he knows he just needs Nathaniel to come see Jesus. It's all about seeing Jesus. Because if people come in to a, a place of faith, if they, if they come and they see religion, they will leave. And if they come and see egos and an inauthentic show, they will leave. And if they see an exclusive group of people who, who makes them feel like outsiders, they will leave. If they, if they see judgment and condemnation, they will leave. But if they come and see Jesus, they will stay. And I'm not just talking about, like, come and stay in our church and have 100% attendance at Red Rocks Austin. I'm talking about in their life. Like if they come and see Jesus through a community of people who just genuinely just exemplifies him and shows his love and and shows them the fact that his grace is sufficient for them, that he did make away from them, that he loves them so much, they'll stay with him. It's like when you walk up to Jesus, he's just that good. Follow me. And you're like, yep. And you can't always explain it. You can't always put words to it. And that's why sometimes all you can say, hey, I I don't know exactly what to do. Just come and see. I've got a home and I've got a family that I think you're going to love and I think you're going to see Jesus through it and then you're going to stay with him. A lot of times in my life, like I'm apologetic almost when I do get into those conversations. It's like, hey, I know your life's really hard and you're going through a lot. I hate to heap something else on you. But, gosh, I feel bad even saying this. So God loves you. (laughs) Like he created you uniquely and he has a purpose for your life and he loves you and and he just wants you to be in relationship with him he actually he knows that you can't make your way to him and that's why he sent his son to pay for your sin and to rise from the grave to give you new life and so that your your eternity can be different and your today will be different because you'll find the hope and the peace and the joy and the love and the new life that your soul craves it's all in him I'm so sorry to tell you that Right, like the the word gospel means good news, and I lose sight of that all the time. It's supposed to sound like good news to people because it is good news that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave and he has new life for us. And when I have that perspective, I'm like, okay, I'll say come and see. I've got a home and a family that I'm proud to be a part of, and I want them to come here because I want them to experience that. Okay, so that's like this general idea, hey, go out and invite somebody. But like I said, it's easy to be like, okay, well, if everybody else invites somebody, I don't really want to. But, man, it matters to the people in your sphere if you do. And I want to make this personal for you with some stories of our church. Already, eight months in, some amazing things that have happened, person to person. So uh, Amy, who is our video team lead, she came to our Thanksgiving dinner last fall. She said, this is my family. This is my home. And she started to get involved here, and she started to find, like, this new life with Jesus. And he was doing so many cool things in her life, and she always had her boss on her mind. Like, man, this, this fullness, this life I'm experiencing with Jesus, I want that for him. And I'm guessing, because most people do, he probably has some church baggage and inviting him to church, he's probably going to be a little resistant to that. But, but Amy just said, hey, come and see. And because she did, we have Dago in our church. And you see him up here shredding on his electric guitar. He's part of leading us in worship, and he showed up here because Amy invited him, and then he kept coming back, and we, we asked him, we put it on Instagram, like his story, and why, why he stayed here, and he said, the love and grace of these people has changed my life, and that he's rediscovering his relationship with God. And I want more doggos in this church because more Amys say, come and see. So uh, Summer, our cafe lead, I'm sure you've met her, and she smiled at you. She's one of the friendliest people ever. She's a serial inviter when it comes to church. And she works at a restaurant in the domain, and what I love about Summer is she doesn't view working at a restaurant as insignificant because it's not vocational ministry. She sees it as an opportunity every single day. So she carries invites in her apron, and she hands them out to coworkers and people at her tables, and she's going to get fired eventually for it. (laughs) And so one of those people was her coworker, Justin, and she kind of had that same thought of like, well... I don't know. He's probably got some church baggage and I don't know if he's going to want to come, but she's just, it's summer. So she's like, you just got to come and see, man. And he showed up when we launched and he told me a few weeks later that in this room, he experienced God in a way he had never before in his life. And there, this is him. He's on the right, his family right there. They, this is them with friends they brought to Easter because summer said, you got to come and see. And then they experienced God here and they found a home here and their family here. And they're like, well, we want our friends to come and see this too. And I want more families like that in here because more people like Summer say, come and see. So the Robinsons, awesome family in our church. They met Jake and Sarah Schultz. And they said the same thing. Hey, you guys should come and see our church. So Jake and Sarah showed up. And and before long, they're serving here and they've got smiles on their faces every single week. And their kids are in every other Instagram photo we put up because they're so cute. And we owe them royalties for that. (laughs) This picture for me, Is why we do this. That's Jake coming out of the water saying, no, no, I found him. He came to say, he's that good. And and, and I'm going to go tell other people about this in my life. I'm proclaiming this. And and this happened because the Robinson said, hey, come and see. And Ryan just told me that now Jake and Sarah came to him today and said, hey, it's time for us to open our home. We want to lead a group. I want more families to find family and open their homes so other people can find family because people like the Robinsons say, come and see, come and see. Uh, my story. So I, was, I moved to Austin to be a part of this church. And I'm in this group text for a bachelor party back in Denver. And I tell the guys, hey, I can't make it. I live in Austin now, sorry. And later that day, I get a text from a random number that says, Hey, I know Chris, too. I can't go to the bachelor party either. Do you want to meet up that night? I live in Austin. Let's get dinner and let's FaceTime him and just tell him congratulations on the coming wedding. So we go to Buffalo Wild Wings, and I'm, like, excited. I told Steph, I'm, like, this is going to be my first Austin friend. I'm making a new friend in this new city. And I get there, and Brandon has the correct taste in sports, so we hit it off. I'm, like, this is a good guy. And then the conversation gets to the point where it's dangerous as a pastor where I say, So what brought you to Austin? Because he's going to ask that back to me. And when you're a pastor and you tell people, oh, I came here to plant a church, they're either going to try to fight you or they're just going to immediately find a way to leave. Like, oh, that's cool. Oh, I just died. I got to go. Sorry. (laughs) Or the worst of all, they start trying to justify their life to you. They're like, oh, you're a pastor. Well, I I donate to charity and I volunteer, like, not as much as I should, but I do volunteer. Like, I've had that happen to me. I'm like, hey, I don't know you. This is not a job interview. You don't have to prove yourself to me. I promise you're a better person than me just by knowing me really well. So you're good. So I tell Brandon, hey, well, I came to be a part of this church plan, and we're going to have some pre-launch services and we're going to launch in January. If you ever want to come, you're welcome. We'd love for you to just come and see. So Brandon showed up to one of our pre-launch services and he told me later he did because he didn't want to then go to our friend's wedding and me see him there and be like, hey, remember when I told you about that thing I committed my whole life to and you didn't come? Thanks for being my new friend in Austin, <laughs> which I wouldn't have judged him for, because coming to church is like, it's hard for some people. But he showed up, and then he started to come back, and then he signed up to serve, and now he's the head of our security team. And, and I, I see, the, I have these moments in this church where I'm like, gosh, are we doing anything right? Do we know what we're doing? Why, why am I a part of this? I'm the last person that should be here. And then I see moments like this, like this is Brandon leading a, a pre-service rally for our volunteers, who I had just met at Buffalo Wild Wings a few months before, and he's like, yeah, I don't know about church. And you probably don't recognize him because he's lost a ton of weight and he looks amazing. But this is Brandon leading other people. It started with a simple, almost timid, come and see from me. I have these moments where I overthink our church, and I'm like, gosh, what the heck is going on here? And, And I'll be standing over here in worship, and then I'll look over, and while I'm overthinking and trying to control and doubting, I see Brandon, eyes closed, hands in the air, worshiping. I see him experiencing God. I see God using him to, to lead other people. And I'm like, that's, that's why we do this. That's what this is all about. This, is a, this isn't about, that's not a stat to me. These pictures of people, those it's not about stats. This is about life change and transformation and human beings finding Jesus. That's why we say, come and see. So a couple weeks ago, I woke up at 4 a.m. to a phone call from a friend Mary and Mary was in Denver at the time, and our beloved worship leader Emily was watching her dog. And Mary's like, Hey, I'm sorry to call you in the middle of the night, but Emily went late to let her dog Sydney out, and when she went to get the leash, Sydney booked it out the door and ran away. She's like, Emily's been out there for a while looking with Sarah. Can you go help them? I'm like, Okay. So I get my dog, because we're like, We'll give him the scent, and then he'll go lead us. <laughs> but my dog is not a genius. So he didn't. Doug's with me, and we're walking around. Uh, Let's pull the dogs up here so we can just, I want you to really picture them. So on the right is Sydney, who ran away, the greyhound, which is not good because greyhounds are born to run. She's so skinny that she turns at a certain angle, and you can't see her. And she has dark fur, so in the middle of the night, you also can't see her. And then that's my dog, Bowser, on the left. So Doug and Emily and Bowser and I were cruising around, and eventually we we're like, we're not, we're not going to find Sydney. She's probably hiding somewhere. It's dark out. We can't see her. So let's wait till it gets light out, and then we'll start the search again. So we all go home, try to take a nap, and then people start putting some stuff on social media, like we're looking for this dog, and Chris, our parking lot chief, he remembers it's 2019, so he finds a Facebook group for the community we live in, and two people had posted photos saying, hey, we saw this dog. Over here, we couldn't get it to come to us. This is a greyhound that's been rescued. So she's very timid. She's very afraid. Mary's like her only person she's going to come to. But they're like, this is where we saw her. So we're like, okay. So the search party grows. Doug and I have our dogs and we're marching down. Like we're going to find Sydney. These guys are going to lead us. And then Chris finds some guy who's in his garage. And he's like, hey, do you have a bike I could borrow? And the guy's like, what? He's like, here's my car keys. If I don't come back with your bike, you can have my car. And the guy's like, that's a good deal. All right, take my bike. So Chris is cruising around looking for this dog. Emily and Summer and Amy are on foot, they're looking. And Doug and I get to the spot where Sydney was spotted, and this path splits in two ways. So we're like, all right, we're going to go, each go on one path. And as we start going, there's these trees in between us. And after a little while, my dog just kind of pulls me over there and stops. And I'm like, oh, it's happening. And I look through the trees, and I see Doug and Luna, and we're like, our dogs are idiots. They found each other. (laughs) But so then right then, Summer calls me, and she's like, Ethan, we see Sydney. We can't get her to stop. She's coming towards you. Try to get her to stop. They're like sprinting after her. And so I come out of the trees with Bowser, and I look, and sure enough, here comes Sydney, just trotting along the path. So I'm like, hi, Sydney. How are you? I'm safe. Remember me? Sydney doesn't even look at me. But she locks eyes with my dog, Bowser, and goes straight to him. Wag their tails, smell each other, and she just stops. And I just pick her up. And we took her home. You're like, well, that was kind of a drop-off there at the end of that story. So the obvious metaphor here, right, is bringing the lost home. And I just thought, like, this story is as dumb as it sounds. Like, it's been speaking to me ever since it happened. Because when I went home, first of all, to try to, like, nap in between so it could get light out, my stomach was just turning because I was just picturing little Sydney out there afraid and alone. I'm like, oh, no, she shouldn't be out there by herself. We got we to gotta find her. And then I was thinking about this team of people, like, posting on Facebook and stealing people's bikes and, and, and running around in the middle of the night in the heat of the day, why? Because we just wanted Sydney to come home. And I was like, man, I want to be that way about people. Sometimes I want to lay awake and think about my friends and pray for them. Thank God, give me the chance to tell them to come and see. I want to help them find home. I want our church to be a team like that. That's like, hey, whatever it takes. Even though we're even mad at this dog for running away, like we're going to do whatever it takes to bring her home because she shouldn't be out there afraid and alone. I want to feel that way. I want to desire so deeply for people to come home that it, like, is my heartbeat. And Sydney, she's a greyhound rescue, so like I said, she's got a lot of baggage, right? She's probably had a pretty rough life. She's wounded, like human beings. Like, she's got this shell around her, and it was, I'm psychoanalyzing dogs right now, and probably giving them way too much credit, but it was so crazy that after running for, like, 10 hours, she sees Somebody that she trusts and goes straight to him and just stops running away. And I think that she came to my dog because they hang out together and she knows him. And even though he's not always the best friend because he's always trying to wrestle her and he's twice her size and she's just like, just leave me alone. But he's protective. And I think she could tell, like, hey, he he wants to help me. He wants good for me. He's my friend. So she runs up to him and she knows that he's not going to shame her, like, Sydney, you idiot. You shouldn't have run away. Look at you now. You're covered in mud and you're shaking and you're scared. Now go home. Get away from me. No, he's just going to wag his tail and say, hey, let's let's go home. You can come with me. And it spoke to me that all the knowledge, the explanations, the fancy Christian phrases, the answers that we might know, they don't hold a candle to the love that our friends see in us for them. I think that people are going to come and see Jesus because they see him in us. And they'll come with you. And the the people that you meet, like your friends, and then the people that seem random that you meet, the the them out there, the non-believers, like the world that we sometimes like hold ourselves up and we're just like they don't want to hear from us, they hate us. Sometimes it almost feels like we're like opposing each other. The people out there, they they have a shell like Sydney. Why? Because human beings, I mean, they're depressed, they're lonely, they're anxious. They're afraid, they're broken, they're alone. There's people out there that have been made to be outcasts by the church. They've been told that they don't belong because their life doesn't match up with the polished Christian life. They've been treated like modern day lepers by the church. So why would they want to come? There's people with so much baggage that you bring the word up and they're just like, oh no, I've been told that's not for me. Right now out there, there are families that are on the verge of breaking apart. There are marriages that are crumbling because they have no foundation to stand on. There are kids out there who are being abused and neglected and bullied. The young generations right now are the most connected and yet the loneliest generations in history. They, they look on their phones every day to be told that they're not good enough, that they don't measure up, and they're just sitting there while their parents are distracted by work or on their phones, and they're just like, do I matter? Is there a purpose for me? Why am I here? Can somebody just look me in the eye and just treat me like a person? There's older generations that now feel like, oh, the young people, they don't want to hear from us. They're all just crazy and doing their thing that we desperately need to mentor us and give us wisdom and walk with us and for them to see the value that they have. These are the people that are out there. There are students all the way to CEOs that are living in our cultural cycle. And what they're told is you better work hard so you can get the degree, so you can get the job, so you can get the promotion, to get the promotion, to make more money, so you can buy more stuff and hopefully had a good time before you die. And that's it. Like that is literally the hope of their life, and these are not bad people. These are not uh, people that we should say, yeah, they they don't get it. No, they've just never been told where real hope is at, right? Like we see celebrities who have reached the pinnacle of our society commit suicide because they have gotten to the place where everyone is looking and saying, that's where it's at, that's where life is, that's where fulfillment is, and they get there and they're empty and it makes no sense and they have no hope and they say, well, then forget it. I don't know where else to look. These people need to find the hope that is eternal, the hope that is real. There are people out there that literally do not have homes to come to. Have you ever, like we drive past them every day. They literally fell on some sort of hard time and they don't have a home. And I've been thinking about that and also the fact that there's people who live in mansions who don't have an ounce of home in their soul. They don't feel at home in any way. We could be their home. We will be their home. So am I saying to invite homeless people to church? Yes. I'm saying you invite anybody and everybody to church. Why? Because this is their father's house. He made them in his image. So I'm not going to be one to try to look down on them because maybe maybe their life doesn't line up with everything I agree with. But no matter their status, their life decisions, their struggles, their sin how they might look that's different than me or think that's different than me or live that's different than me. They're his kids, and they're welcome in his house. So you invite anybody and everybody home. And history is different because people like Philip did that. They said, just come and see. If you come and see Jesus, you're going to stay. You're going to stay with him. There's this cool moment in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is standing before the 5,000 plus that he's Ends up feeding. But before that happens, he turns to Philip. It names him specifically in the story. And he says, hey, how are we going to feed these guys? And Philip's like, we're not. There's no way. And as the story goes and Jesus feeds them, I think it's this moment for Philip where Jesus is looking at him, kind of winking. Like, hey, remember when this was so simple just to come and see? Well, it's gotten a little more complex now because there's thousands of people coming to see, right? Am I still the guy that you were waiting for? Am I still worth following at the drop of the hat? Because if you trust me, all you have to do is keep saying come and see and I'll feed the people. And I think we stand here at this cool moment as a church where we're like growing and people are coming and we're adding a service and and it's awesome. And I think that challenge is here for us now to say, hey, are we gonna keep saying come and see and trusting that Jesus is gonna feed his people when they come home? Because he will. But you've better be ready for a movement that's beyond what your imagination can think right now. You better be willing to believe that Jesus is going to bring more people than you can handle into your life. But he's the one who's going to feed him. We just say come and see. He's looking at Philip going, hey, bud, are you ready for a worldwide movement? That's what you're being invited into. That's, that's what I'm telling you to tell people to come and see because I'm going to come and change this world, not just your little circle. Are you ready for that? I am. We're a part of it. We're in this room because somebody told us to come and see at some point, right? I know Jesus because in a time in my life when I had a lot of questions and I had even more issues than I have right now, people who loved me and were were just faithful to say, come and see, they brought me home. And so as you think about the complexity of something seeming so simple and your thoughts and you you think of somebody to invite and then the self-doubt or the church doubt comes into your brain or you're just like, ah, oh, this seems like I'm going to be imposing on them, like so sorry to tell you. There's one word to always come back to, to stand on it and, and put it above everything else that might stop you and might make you silent. You ready for it? It's Jesus. And you're like, wow, brilliant. Do you think that up yourself? Duh. Well, here's what I mean. We're going to sing this song called What a Beautiful Name. And it, this song is like, an, it was an instant classic. It's, it was sweeping across the world. Everybody loves this song. And it's Hill song, so of course it's amazing. But when it came out, I sometimes feel like the non-spiritual person in the room where I'm like, everybody seems really into this, but I don't, it seemed kind of weird to me. Like, why would they write a song just about Jesus' name? Like he did all these amazing things. Like Jesus literally died and he went and then killed death. And then he rose from the grave. Why not write a song about that? Like, it's a cool song, but his name. And then you start to think about the word and you're like, Jesus, Jesus. Wait, is that how that's spelled? Is that a word? Am I real? What's happening right now? (laughs) Have you ever done that when you just like stare at a word for too long? It becomes that way I think sometimes in church because we hear it so much. And so I'm like, I'm missing something here. Why write a song that says it's this beautiful, powerful name like Jesus? Like, yeah, it's kind of a cool word. And then I was reading Matthew 1 and it clicked for me. You may be way ahead of me, but but here's what happens. This is like pre-Christmas, kind of the Christmas story. We're getting into it in Matthew chapter 1. So Mary has an angel come to her and says, hey, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And he's the Messiah and he's going he's to be the anointed one that you've been waiting for. Well, Mary's engaged to Joseph. So she goes to Joseph and tells him and he's like, oh, you're pregnant. Okay, well, she cheated on me, so let's just... End this, right? And then Mary is the very first human to pull the God card in a relationship. No, 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 Joseph, this is from God. And he's like, Yeah, okay, so this chick not only cheated on me, but she's crazy. But Mary had the right to pull the God card, right? Like these days we use it to break up with people. It's like God told me to break up with you. They're like, Well, I don't want to go to your church, thanks. I don't like God anymore. Mary had the right to pull the God card. It was a valid use of the God card. Very few of them are. So Joseph's like, yeah, 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 okay, okay, sure. And he just decides I'm going to quietly just end this. And back then engagement was way more serious. So he was just going to kind of try to help her out by saying this is over. They kind of had to get divorced. But he was going to do it in private because she would be accused of adultery and probably killed for it in that time. And God's looking at this situation and he's like, okay, we got to help Joseph out because this is hard to believe and Mary's gonna need a husband, Jesus is gonna need a dad, somebody to teach him how to build chairs. So we gotta keep Joseph here. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, it says, but after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This angel comes and tells Joseph, this this is real what Mary told you. This anointed one, this one who's gonna come and he's gonna lead his people, your people. You're gonna name him Jesus, why? Because the name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. And it means the Lord saves. That's the meaning of the name of Jesus. So Joseph, like the Israelites had this picture of Yeshua. The name was Joshua, like Joshua from the Old Testament. And Joshua was the one who led them into the promised land. Led them out of, you know, Moses led them out of slavery. And then Joshua took them into the promised land. And Joseph's hearing right now, no, no, no. This isn't just a Yeshua who's gonna put you in some prominence here on earth. This is the Yeshua who is coming to save his people from their sins. And it dawned on me, I'm like, this is the most beautiful name. This song won a Grammy. That's the world out there saying, man, what a beautiful name, what a powerful name. Like the world is acknowledging the beauty of the name of Jesus, why? Because the world thinks that the Lord judges and hates. And the world thinks that the Lord condemns. And the world thinks that the Lord destroys. And this song is telling the truth about who the Lord is, that his character, that who is, is that the Lord saves. At Christmas, we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's like this haunting song in the mindset of the Israelites saying, we're a mess and we're broken and depressed and lost and lonely and afraid. God, come, save us, help us. We can't do it. We cannot save ourselves. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. God, come be with us. And Joseph, in this moment, is hearing he's coming. He's coming right now. And he's going to save his people from their sin. John 3 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The angel's like, this sounds crazy, Joseph. Just come and see. Come and see what happens through this kid's life. And then Mary and Joseph are gonna have this crazy story and people aren't gonna believe them. They're just gonna say, come and see our son. Just come and see him. And Jesus is gonna call Philip and all the guys and he's he's gonna be like, hey, just come and see, come and see, come and see. And then they're gonna go tell their friends to come and see. They're gonna tell their friends to come and see. And then before you know it, the entire world has changed because Jesus has become the most known human being in history because the Lord saves. The name of Jesus, the most famous word Yeshua, the Lord saves. And so when I have those moments where I think, I don't really wanna say anything because it might be weird or I don't know if I'm the best, no, 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 Yeshua, the Lord saves. Every human being, their soul longs for it. They long for Jesus because he's come to save them from their sins. So these cards, if you guys would stand up I wanna hold these cards in your hand as we pray, and I want it in your mind to just represent people that need to know that the Lord saves. People that need to be invited to come and see Jesus so they can know him and know his goodness and know the most beautiful and powerful name, Yeshua, the Lord saves. So Father, would you give us courage to invite, would you give us opportunities to tell people just to come and see and would they see Jesus in this family? Would they see Jesus in this place? Would they see your character and what you've done? Would they hear the name Jesus and would it, would it mean to them the truth that the Lord saves? Father, I pray for chairs to be filled with people who can experience you, who will find family and discover their purpose and that they will then go lead other people to come and experience you and your goodness. And it, it's in that powerful and beautiful name that we sing this song and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.